please be seated. And I do want to announce today, um, as you may know, uh, our uh, beloved pastor, Mike Rosario, is out of town this week. And so um, we have the pleasure to have a guest speaker today, uh, who is Stephen Duarte. Um, Stephen is the pastor of Family and Youth Ministries here at, uh, in Parkside uh, Christian Fellowship here. Um, he's here with his wife this morning, and their youngest, who is three weeks old, oh, six weeks old, six weeks old. So, um, and they have two other children, so they'll be, um, uh, they'll be, he'll be ministering to us today. He, I, I've been told by Joel uh, to, that we are indebted to Stephen for our youth camp this year, which he really led that effort and did a lot of the teaching there. And you may have read articles by Stephen as well. Um, he does write articles on ReformationNevada.com. Um, and so uh, we are grateful to have him to be able to speak this morning and minister to us. So, Stephen, please come up. Good morning. It's a, it's a joy to be with you this morning. It's, uh, it's just wonderful to be with God's people wherever you're at. And so it's a pleasure to be with you. We're going to be uh, in the book of Romans this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 21. This is God's word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are high and lifted up, Lord. There is none like you. Father, you are full of majesty, full of glory. Your grace and your love uh, have no boundaries. Your righteousness is perfect. Lord, you are uh, the only truly independent one. All things are from you. And through you and to you, to you alone belongs the glory. Lord, we come uh, before you this morning uh, as dependent people. Lord, we uh, confess our great need. Lord, so often uh, we don't uh, understand your word the way that we should. That we don't uh, believe your word the way that we should. We confess this as sin. Lord, and we pray for your help. Help us uh, not only to understand your word, but to love it, to love the truths in it. Lord, that out of an understanding of uh, reality, 
we would be led to praise you all the more. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you uh, for purchasing your bride by the blood of Christ. Thank you that you have given this gift uh, to us, this uh, uh, special day where we can gather together as your people. We can praise your good name. We can hear uh, your voice and your word, Lord. And pray, Father, that you would be pleased to uh, wash your bride uh, this morning with the water of your word. That you would please be pleased to uh, build us up, Lord. That you would be pleased to continue to conform us into the image of your Son. As you would do all these things uh, for our good and for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The definition of words matters. Many of us have Mormon friends who could wholeheartedly agree that we're saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It would seem that there's much agreement. However, one uh, only need ask a few questions, right? What do you mean by saved? What do you mean by grace? What do you mean by God? What do you mean by Jesus Christ? The answers to those questions would reveal uh, quite a drastic difference, wouldn't it? A, A damning difference, in fact. The definition of words matters. This truth is seen in the Reformation. Uh, I don't know if you know, but tomorrow is Reformation Day. Uh, We sort of commemorate uh, more than 500 years ago the day when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the the church door at at Wittenberg. And uh, God used that moment in time to spark the Reformation, a great time of gospel light being poured out. And so given today's date, I thought it would be appropriate to examine what I've titled a Reformation word fight. Okay, don't worry, I didn't bring boxing gloves. We won't actually be fighting. But one of the primary dividing lines between the Reformers, such as Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin, and the Roman Catholics was the definition of the word justification. In our passage today, we read in verse 24 that sinners are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, it may be surprising, but Roman Catholics and the Reformers uh, both affirm that we're justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. However, the Roman Catholics had a different definition for the word justified, different definition for the word justification. And so during the Reformation, you have this uh, critical difference about, uh, around the definition of this one word. The Reformers on one side, the Roman Catholics on the other. And the Roman Catholics define justification as to make righteous. Make righteous. In their view, God must first make a person righteous before God can declare them to be so. God must first make a person righteous before God uh, can say that it's true of them, in a sense. On the other hand, the Reformers correctly define justification as to declare righteous. As to declare righteous. God actually declares a person to be righteous before he makes them to be so. So it seems like a minor difference, perhaps, 
The difference between uh, justification being uh, God making a person righteous and God declaring a person righteous may seem like a minor difference, which one goes first, but it's actually a world of difference. And it's important that we look at this because the definition of that one word, justification, can actually be the difference between salvation by grace alone, and Christ alone, through faith alone, and salvation by grace, and our cooperation with it, in Christ, and our righteous works, through faith, and our faithfulness. Definition of that one word. And so before we get... Uh, dive into the correct view of justification, let's first look a little bit more at the Roman Catholic view. Again, the question is, how would the Roman Catholic understand verse 24 that sinners are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus? Well, they, they would define that, justify that justification as God making a person righteous. Making a person righteous. And uh, historically, just I like history, I don't know if you guys do, but historically it all happened because uh, uh, Jerome, he translated the Bible into Latin, and he translated this one word incorrectly. And so we have this whole problem that comes because the, the Roman Catholics were relying on the Latin uh, translation of the Bible. And so they, they said, hey, justify means to make righteous. And basically what you have in Roman Catholicism is you have sanctification, uh, which is the, the process that God actually makes us righteous, to make, he makes us more like Christ, that whole process is muddled with justification. To be justified, they teach, you must first be sanctified. In other words, Roman Catholicism teaches that for God to be able to say someone is righteous, God must first make them righteous. And furthermore, though God is gracious in making a person more righteous, a person must actually cooperate with God uh, in order to become righteous. And so what does that all mean? Well, it means that God is actually dependent on a person's cooperation with him for them to be saved. Thus, a Roman Catholic may say that they believe that God's grace saves a person, but it is not by God's grace alone. It's God's grace and man's cooperation with it. Very different. Well, what about the true definition of the word? What about the biblical meaning of the word justification? Well, I'm reading the book of Romans in the original Greek. Instead of relying on Jerome and his Latin translation of the Bible, the Reformers realized something very important, something critical. The word justify in this passage of Romans is actually a legal term, which means to declare righteous. What does that mean? Imagine you're in a courtroom, you've been accused of a crime, you you stand before the judge, right? And you have evidence that's presented to the judge. And in this scenario, the judge, after examining the evidence, after looking through the case, he has to make a declaration. Right? And in this scenario, he either declares the person guilty based on the evidence, or he declares a person righteous based upon the evidence. It's a declaration. It's the judge saying, this person is righteous. He's declaring it. He's pronouncing it. 
And so in the Christian sense, what does justification mean? What does it mean to be justified? In the Christian sense, it means that God, the judge, declares a person to be righteous. It's a declaration. The evidence is presented before him, and he makes a declaration. And so the reformers understood that God actually declares a person righteous as right apart from them actually being righteous. That God declares sinners to be righteous. Whereas Roman Catholicism teaches God must first make a person righteous before declaring them to be so, the Reformers correctly understood that God must uh, first declare a person righteous before he then makes them righteous. And so justification, being declared righteous, is not a result of sanctification, being made righteous. It's actually the case that sanctification, being made righteous, is a result of justification, being declared righteous. Well, the question uh, that might come to our mind then, how is it, how is it, that a just judge, how is it that God, the judge, could declare a sinner to be righteous? How could he be just with the evidence presented before him to declare me, to, de- to declare you to be righteous? I mean, God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. How could he declare a sinner to be righteous and still be righteous himself? It seems like a bit of a conundrum, doesn't it? Shouldn't it be that God must first make us righteous before he can declare us righteous? That seems to make a little bit more sense, huh? Well, with this question in mind, with the question, how can God declare sinful people righteous? Let's reread our passage to find out. Let's reread verse 21 there in Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Paul has just spent uh, chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 demonstrating that all, both Jew and Gentile, are guilty before God. All have sinned. None are righteous. No one is uh, made right with God by obeying the law. Because none of us has obeyed it the way that we should. And then Paul goes on in verse 21. He says that there is a righteousness of God that has been revealed apart from our obedience to the law. The law uh, points us to this righteousness, but the law is not the source of this righteousness for us. Well then, how do we get righteous? How do we uh, be declared righteous? How do we get this righteousness of God? Well... Roman Catholicism teaches that we get this righteousness by cooperating with God's grace to obey God's law. It's unbiblical. It says right there 
This righteousness that's described, according to verse 21, is apart from the law. It's apart from our works. It's apart uh, from what we do. So then the question remains, if this righteousness doesn't come from obedience to God, where does it come from? Where does this righteousness of God come from? How is the Christian declared righteous without a righteousness of his own? Let's reread again uh, verse 21 and then 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now Paul mentions twice that this righteousness is of God. It's a righteousness of God. It's from Him. It's His righteousness given to us. It's a a righteousness that's acceptable to Him. It's a righteousness of God. Not a righteousness of me. Well then how is it given to us? If this uh, righteousness is of God, if it's from Him, if it's His righteousness given to us, how is it given to us? It's given to us, right there in verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Where do we get this righteousness that we need? If it doesn't come from what we do. Where do we get this righteousness that we need if not from our own works? If not from obedience to the law? How do we receive this righteousness of God? Through faith. Not by our works. God gives the Christian the righteousness that they need to be able to stand before him and be declared righteous. To be able to stand before him and be justified. The stream in which this righteousness flows down upon is faith. It is through faith, not by our works, that we are declared righteous by God. Well, then the question remains, right? Every, uh, every time we have faith, there's an object of our faith. Right? We're, we put our faith in something. Uh, when I drove my car this morning, I had faith that when I put my foot on the gas pedal, that I don't understand cars, some of you do better than I, somehow, some way, something happens and the car moves. Right? I have an object of my faith. Right? Well, what is the object of our faith? What is the object of Christian faith? It is faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we rest upon in Christian faith. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. Now this is important. It's important that we understand what the object of our faith is. We can easily be tempted, even as Christians, to put our faith in things other than Christ. Even as Christians, we can be tempted to put our faith in, to rest in, the strength of our faith. And the strength of our faithfulness. We can shift our gaze from the only truly worthy object of faith, Jesus, and shift our gaze back to ourselves. 
We can put our faith in our faith. We can put our faith in our faithfulness. And we need to be reminded time and time again. We are not declared righteous before God because we put faith in our faith. We are not declared righteous before God because we put our faith in a profession of faith we made when we were five. We are not declared righteous before God because we put our faith in our faithfulness. We are not declared righteous before God by, I'm sorry, we are declared righteous before God by putting our faith in Christ alone. By resting upon Christ alone. He alone is the object of faith that gives us the righteousness of God that we need. Now, I use this chair example. Maybe, maybe you have uh, also seen the illustration of faith, right? Sitting in a chair as an as a object illustration of faith. Now, imagine I were sitting in this chair... I was resting in it, okay? I'm sorry, I'm not on the microphone, but I have a good voice, okay? I'm resting in it, right? I'm resting in it in such a way that all my weight is upon it. I'm putting my faith in the strength of this chair, right? Now, does the strength of this chair depend on the strength of my faith? If I start doubting a little bit, oh, is this chair going to hold this? Does that change the strength of this chair? Does the strength of this chair depend on my faithfulness to this chair? What if one day I'm like, I don't know, that chair over there. <laughs> but I'm still resting in this chair. Right? This, the strength of the object of my faith is not dependent on the strength of my faith, nor the strength of my faithfulness. Weak faith in a strong Savior saves. Unfaithful people resting in a faithful Savior saves. And that is good news. Christ is the only worthy object of our faith. And so as Christians, you know, we have moments of doubt. We still sin. We don't love God the way that we should. And yet we keep resting in Christ. Because He is a strong Savior. And His ability to save does not depend on the strength of my faith. Nor my ability to be faithful the way that I want to. Well, how does this all work? How is it that by putting my faith in Christ, I am declared righteous by God? How is it that by putting my faith in Christ, I am declared righteous before God? Well, I think, if you don't mind, we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Even if you do mind, we're still doing it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I think this verse gives us a very concise answer to this question. How is it that 
by putting my faith in Christ, by resting in Christ, I am declared righteous before God. Wonderful verse. For our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we stand before God the judge, we have two problems. One is we have evidence that demands a guilty verdict. The second problem is we lack evidence that would grant us a righteous verdict. Two problems. One, my own guilty evidence. And secondly, my lack of righteous evidence. Verse 21 again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. If we were to stand before God on our own, we would stand before him with a mountainous collection of evidence that demands a guilty verdict. Our sin, our, our, our wickedness cries out, guilty, guilty, deserving of infinite punishment. Our whole life is a testimony against ourselves in this courtroom. How can this evidence that demands a guilty verdict be dealt with? He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Those who are united to Christ through faith have something grand happen. Christ has taken our sin-saturated evidence upon himself and stands before the judge in our place. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, to be counted as sinful. The innocent one is declared guilty for the guilty. The righteous one is condemned as unrighteous for the unrighteous. The lawmaker and the law keeper is punished as a lawbreaker for lawbreakers. The fountain of all blessing bears the curse for the cursed. The eternal Son of God is judged as a son of wrath for the children of wrath. For our sake, for our sake, for the sake of sinners such as us. He made him who knew no sin, the only truly righteous one, to be sin, to be condemned as a sinner. Guilty, vile, helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he, full atonement, full payment, Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior.
the amazing mercy God has shown us in Christ Jesus, that Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, would pay the penalty for those guilty and vile. That Christ, the eternal Son of God, the King of kings, would die for treasonous rebels such as us. This is good news. This is amazing news. This is glorious news. But it's not the whole news. You see, if the only thing accomplished by Christ, and can you really say the only thing, but if the only thing that was accomplished by Christ was the removal of our sin, we would be back to square one with God. We would be in the same position as Adam was in the garden. No sin, but also no earned righteousness. We would be like the Roman Catholics who believe they still need to earn their own righteousness in order to be declared righteous by God. In order to be justified, in order to be declared righteous by God, we not only need our sinful evidence dealt with, but we have that second problem. We also need the righteous evidence of another. Let's reread this verse. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. There's that phrase again, huh? The righteousness of God. In him, in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. Christ not only came to die for sinners, but to obey for sinners. Christ not only came to pay the debt for his people, but also to fulfill all righteousness for his people. To earn a righteousness that he could give his people. Christ not only takes the sinful evidence upon himself, our sinful evidence, and stands condemned before the judge, but he also gives us his righteous evidence that we might stand before the judge and be declared righteous, that we might be justified in him, in Christ. All those in Christ, through faith, are justified, are declared righteous before, uh, before God because Christ gives us His evidence, His righteousness. The judge declares us righteous in Christ, not because of a righteousness that we have earned. We couldn't earn it. But because of the righteousness that Christ has earned. This righteousness is a perfect righteousness. A complete Super sufficient righteousness. This righteousness is the righteousness of God. 
How is it? How is it that God can declare a sinner righteous? God declares a sinner righteous through faith alone in Christ alone. Christ alone can pay the penalty of our sin. And Christ alone has earned the righteousness that we need to be justified before a holy God. It is through the work of Christ alone that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's perfectly just. Because the evidence before him demands a righteous verdict. Because it's Christ's righteousness, his evidence. Well, why is this important? Why is it important that justification means to declare righteous instead of to make righteous? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? Well, first of all, it's the difference between heaven and hell for some. But for others, even for Christians, it can be the difference between the Christian who lacks assurance and comfort and joy in Christ and the Christian who rests securely in Christ, even amid trials and pains and difficulties. Well, why? Why is that so? Well, first of all, faith in Christ is the only means of salvation. So if we try to make salvation what Christ has done and what we will do, we will not be saved. That's the difference between heaven and hell. If salvation is based upon Christ forgiving my sins and then me cooperating with God to become righteous before the judge then salvation is not by Christ alone. In Galatians, Paul writes that all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And so if I'm relying on my works to be made righteous before God, if I think I can just bare knuckle it, and obey God good enough to make Him declare me righteous, I'm under the curse. Because the righteous requirement is perfect, perpetual, continual obedience. And none of us have done that. Only Christ has done that. That's the difference between heaven and hell. Justification being a declaration of righteous instead of being made righteous. We cannot be made right with God by putting our faith in Christ and our works. We can only be made right with God by resting in what Christ has already accomplished. We are declared righteous by God only through the righteousness of God given to us in Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not united to Christ through faith, if you're relying on your own righteousness before God, you have no hope. You stand condemned. 
The full measure of God's wrath is ready to be poured out upon you at any moment for all eternity. This is a serious thing. God loves goodness. Which means he hates evil. That's what a loving God does. You and I, in ourselves, only have great evil in our account before God. And God is too good not to punish our great evil. You have before you today a choice. You can either stand before God depending on your own righteousness, or, this is the good news, you can depend on the righteousness of another. And there is only one who has the righteousness that you need. Jesus Christ, the the God-man. Jesus Christ alone has the righteousness that you need. Look to Him, rest in Him and His righteousness, and you can enjoy peace with God. I, I urge you today, if this is you, confess your sin, confess your need, and rest in Christ alone for salvation. He saves to the uttermost all those who draw near to Him. Second of all, for the Christian... Our justification, our being declared righteous by God in Christ is the only solid ground for our assurance, for our assurance of salvation. Christian, if you're looking primarily to your own works to find assurance of salvation, you're on shaky ground. Works are a helpful secondary uh, uh, saying that God really does change the Christian and I can see evidence in my, in my life, right? That, is a ground for assurance, and it should be, uh, in one sense, a ground for concern, right? If we see someone who has lived uh, 30 years professing to be Christian and they have no problem with sin, right? But the only solid ground, the only solid ground of assurance is Christ. Our declaration of, of righteous in Christ. Because we still sin. And if I'm depending on looking at myself, looking at my works to know whether or not I'm saved, primarily, that's very shaky ground. I might have a pretty decent day today. But if God were to really show me how my day was, I would see that it wasn't so decent. Right? As a Christian, part of our sanctification is actually seeing more and more our sinfulness. Now here's the good news, Christian. Your remaining sin does not jeopardize your relationship with God. Why? Because your relationship with God is not dependent on your righteousness. It is dependent on Christ's righteousness. And Christ's righteousness is perfect. Christ's righteousness is sufficient for the chief of sinners. Christ's righteousness is sufficient for you. Christ is the only solid ground for our assurance of salvation. So look to Him. 
rest in him, and you will produce good works. You will actually be made more and more righteous by the work of the Spirit. Thirdly, our justification, our being declared righteous by God in Christ, is a source of great comfort in this life. The wrath of God for the Christian's sin has already been poured out on Christ. It is a historical fact. It is finished. Christian, there is no more wrath of God left for you. For Christ drank every last drop of it on the cross. Instead, you have the full favor and blessing of God upon you in Christ because you have His righteousness in your account. These facts should help us to reinterpret all of reality. Think about it. When something bad happens to you, let's say uh, on the way home you get a flat tire, or, or worse, you get a, a, a bad diagnosis, you have cancer. It is not a sign of God's wrath towards you, Christian. Though these things in in themselves are not good, all those who are in Christ can take comfort that God is actually working good through these things. The bad things in our lives, this is perhaps a bitter pill to swallow, uh, but it's a a life-giving pill. The bad things in our lives are actually the blessings of God. They come from the hand of our good Father, and He is working good. He is conforming us into the image of the Son through these things. God is making those who He has declared righteous in Christ to be made more and more righteous like Christ through all things. All things are working together uh, for good for the Christian to conform us into the image of the Son. And that's good. Now, does God discipline the Christian sin? Yes. But even that, even His discipline is actually a token of the divine favor. God disciplines out of love, not out of wrath. He disciplines those whom He loves for their good. Just like any good father would do. Why has such and such a thing happened in your life, Christian? The why question. Why? Why this? Why that? Because God has determined to bless you in making you more like Christ, all because of the finished work of Christ. So take heart. Take Comfort, even in pain. There is no evil in the Christian life that does not have a good purpose. The evils that befall you are not the curse of God, but the blessing of God. So take comfort amid trial and trouble, pain and loss, suffering and sadness. God, your good Father, is on the throne and is is bestowing blessing after blessing upon you. 
it doesn't always feel like it. That little baby there doesn't, doesn't feel like a blessing when I change her diaper. She's screaming. This wipe is so cold. How could you do this to me? Why am I doing it? Because I love her. I love her enough to give the thing that she doesn't want for her good. I'm blessing her, in a sense. It doesn't feel like a blessing to her. It doesn't feel like a blessing to my son when I tell him, you know, he can't have candy for breakfast. But it is a blessing, isn't it? And as fathers, you know, and mothers, we don't always know what's best. We don't always do what's best. But we have a perfectly heavenly Father who knows exactly what you and I need. Who knows exactly what is a blessing to us. And He gives it to us because we have the full favor and blessing of Him in Christ Jesus. Because we have been declared righteous in Christ. And so though uh, the evil things in our life, though actually evil, evil in themselves... God is actually working them and has planned them for good. So my encouragement to you this morning, Christian, when you doubt this favor and blessing that you have with God, look to Christ. You are in Christ through faith. The Father has the same eternal love and favor for you as He does for the Son because you are united to the Son through faith. You have His righteousness. You have the blessing that He has earned. And you are eternally secure in Christ Jesus. Christian, you have been declared righteous you have been justified in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's pray. Father, you are, uh, the depths of your wisdom is infinite. The, you have solved the greatest problem facing man. How can sinful man be made right with a holy God? The way that you've solved this problem, uh, the way that you've determined to make sinful man right with you is a way that we could never have made up. That the eternal Son of God would come down to earth. That He would take on humanity. That He would live in our place and die in our place. That we would receive this full blessing that He has earned through faith alone. That we don't have to work for it, nor can we. Lord, these, these truths are glorious. Lord, help us to never take them for granted. 
Lord, may uh, the repetition of this good news uh, not cause us uh, to disregard it, to think lightly of it. Lord, we thank you, Father, that we can rest in Christ, that we're secure in Christ, that Christ uh, drank every last drop of the wrath that we deserve. that He has endured infinite punishment for us who have done nothing to deserve it, Lord. And that He gifts us the thing that He earned, the thing that He worked for, eternal life. We thank You, Father, that You are merciful towards us in not giving us what we deserve and for being gracious upon us and giving us what we could never deserve. Father, I pray that you would help us to rest in these truths, Lord. So often we can be uh, like little children, fearing and fretting, seeing things that we want and things that we don't want, and not understanding, Lord. And pray, Father, that we would remember what we do know that you are good, that you are sovereign that you love us with the same love that you love the Son, that we have His righteousness, that we have the full blessing and favor of you upon us, even if it doesn't feel like it. We thank you that we can take comfort that all things truly are working together uh, for our good, for the good of your people, Lord. That though things, uh, evil things happen to us, things that are not good in themselves, you have determined uh, to accomplish good through those things in a way that we can't even fathom. And though we don't always see the good in this life, we thank you for the hope that one day in glory we will praise you and we'll be able to say, Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord, that you are good and wonderful, Lord. Help us, Father, to not only take comfort in these things, but to be ministers of comfort to others. Lord, that we would uh, take this good news uh, to those who need to hear it. Help us to take great joy in the good news of Christ and Him crucified for the chief of sinners, for me. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.